And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 62 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, January 19th, 2015. Well, folks, the Super Bowl is set. It's going to be the Seahawks and the Patriots. And yeah, Joe and Robert yawn. More than anything else, perhaps we can look forward to some good Super Bowl commercials. The usual suspects will be there, of course, from Anheuser-Busch to GoDaddy to BMW, Coca-Cola, McDonald's. But there's a couple of interesting new ones that caught our eye, including Mophie, you know, the charger case company for the iPhone, and Wix and Squarespace, both of them website creation and hosting companies. Maybe we're entering a new era for the kind of companies doing Super Bowl commercials. So why not give us a shot at next year's Super Bowl, won't you? Give us a review. Just go to iTunes, make us cry, make us laugh, but most of all, just be your awesome self and help us get to the Super Bowl of podcasts. All right, let's get this week's awesome little show underway. And of course, I'm now happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the most entertaining and best Super Bowl commercial for content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? What do you think? Pats and Seahawks. I watched the game between Green Bay and Seattle, and I'm still in shock. I cannot. Did yeah. you watch the game? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Oh, yeah, I watched it. Uh, it. You know, so we have a quarterback who went four for 22. <laughs> In the second half, and is going to the Super Bowl. I, I still don't know. I mean, they should have been winning fifty to nothing, and yeah. they were in at the end of the game, and it shouldn't have come down to that onside kick, but it did. No. Hey, you know what? That That's Russell, football. I I got it. Hats off to that Russell Wilson. He was oh, in. Yeah. He's in the huddle, and he says that I was talking to my son about you know visualizing and believing, basically setting the plan. Which you know he's like, whatever, Dad. But I said, look yeah. what Russell Wilson did. He got into that huddle and he said, look, I'm going to throw you a touchdown pass. And he did it. Right. To end the game. I mean, you got to. Yeah. You got to appreciate. You got to appreciate somebody that throws four interceptions and still is going to the Super Bowl, like you said. It's amazing. Unbelievable it's a, stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And then the other game wasn't really even no, a game. Wasn't, I mean, it wasn't it was really just, a game. And I just saw know, news other, about some something about Belichick using deflated footballs. And yes, I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting. I guess the Colts are feeling a little deflated. deflated. You know, I don't think yeah. the air in the balls is going to make a difference when you lose by 50 points. Yeah, right. Exactly. Anyways, but the yeah. one thing we, we we're not covering it in the uh, in the news this week, but we have to mention about Lego being shut out of the Oscars. Well, we did mention it that it was that it was uh, uh, it, it didn't win the Golden Globe. Didn't win the Golden and Globe, it, but it, then yeah, well, and it was snubbed. Yeah, it came it out a couple days later Oscar with the nominations yeah. and wasn't nominated for best animated film. I love. Did you saw his response? Yes, yes. it's such a fantastic response. For those of you, yeah, he, so for those of you yeah. who didn't see the response, basically it was a Lego Oscar. <laughs> and, and the director basically said, "I made my own. Made my own. What do I need these people for? I was going to yeah. build my own." No, yeah. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Got nominated for a song, which so, I'm not I mean, a big fan that. of the song. I would have. Really oh, I seen. love the song. Oh, I love that song so much. I think that I think it's just awesome. But everything is awesome. You're right. Everything is awesome. So what do we have in the all, news this all week? All right, shall we? To, yes, we shall to the news. Okay, our first article comes to us from our friends at Digiday, and it's about Google. Um, and the headline is Google new ad powers part of the New York Times. 
And apparently what is going on here is that for the past couple of months, the New York Times has been running a very, as they call it, useful addition to its popular travel column, 36 Hours which is a weekly series that informs people about how you can spend a day and a half in some given city. And this new feature that's on the website is called Plan Your Next Adventure. And what it is is they placed New York Times recommended attractions on an interactive Google map, which allows users not only to read about the city's uh, attractions, but also locate them uh, on an interface, which is, of course, Google Maps. Now, interestingly, this is providing a little bit of controversy, I guess, because it's the native ad part of what we're talking about with the New York Times, but it's not really uh, native ad provided by Google. It's actually utilizing content that's pulled out of the regular editorial and placed in an interactive uh, fashion. So what say you, Joe? Is this just the next step in native advertising where we're pulling regular editorial into an interactive application? We talked about you know, publishers becoming technology companies, and here we go with the, with the next step in this. What do you think? I'm probably going – this is probably not what you expect. I think this is a yawner, actually, because as, as I was reading this, this kind of stuff – I would consider this more content syndication than anything else, because, and, and Google's paying for promotion of that. They're just repurposing New York Times pieces into an app is what I would look. So there's a couple things that I have with it. First of all, this has been done for decades where publishers have really good, interesting content and then a brand wants to purchase and syndicate that content themselves. So that's been done forever. I mean, I was doing this. Let's see, when I ran reprints at uh, at Penton Media, you know, it was 2001, 2002, 2003. We were doing all kinds of projects like this. So that this is nothing new. Second, this is not native advertising. We're, and this is my problem, and I don't know if you have a problem with this. Why are we just calling all forms of sponsored content native <laughs> right, advertising? Exactly. When did this happen? <laughs> it's not. Native, it has to run natively, and it looks and feels right. like the content from the site. This doesn't. Right. When I when I clicked on it, I got a big old spinning globe. This is an yeah. app, <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't exactly. look anything like the New York Times. I don't know if you took anything away from it. Do you think this is newsworthy in any way, or? Well, the only here's the here's the only part that I think is newsworthy, which is the blurring lines between. What is, you know, where something lives uh, and, you know, so for just as an example of this, and and this is just more interesting than it is more controversial to me. The interesting part of this to me is here, here what we've got is something that is perceived to live on the New York Times, but actually almost certainly technically doesn't. Yeah. And, and, And so it's the reverse, right? So in other words, this isn't the New York Times saying, let's pull some content and host it on the New York Times and serve it up from the New York Times and we'll actually include some branding and we'll include some content from our advertiser and call that a native ad and call it a day. This is rather the opposite, where the partner, in this case Google, is actually serving up the application, serving up the content, serving up everything from a technical perspective, and all they're doing is buying, quote unquote, the right to use the content. So to your point, it is more of a content syndication play than it is but it's actually what they're doing is actually under the guise of this is a brand. So in other words, this is Google actually, and and in fact it says this is a you know it's a partnership between T Brand Studio, which is their their production house, mm-hmm. in house production company, as well as Google. This is them working together on a Google project, really, where they're monetizing content from the New York Times in a Google application rather than the other way around, right? So it's really not even an advertising play because. 
at its heart, it's 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 Google wanting to build an app and licensing New York Times content in order to do. Yeah, that. it looks like pure content licensing, content syndication. Right, absolutely. It's, right. And, and by the way, this is very smart. And, and companies do this oh, all the time. Yeah. Companies do this all the time. It's like, oh, you know, we're trying to tell this story. We need this kind of. Con- and before this is just a good content analysis. When you're doing gap analysis, you look at it and say, first, do we have this content already? Say okay, we don't have this content. Then you go to the next step and say, well, should we do it ourselves or should we get somebody else's content? And Google right, very exactly. smartly said, well, it's available, and plus we want to promote it. So let's go do something with the New York Times. Perfect, done. So I don't know. More power to them, but it's not native <laughs> advertising. I'm sorry. No, that's exactly right. A, it's not they native. Need a it's new not word. Native. And by the way, I don't yeah. believe they even touched. The editorial, right? And that's why the, the New York Times editorial. They did, right. Yeah, the editorial team was fine with it because they're not touching anything. They're not curating it in some way and making it sound different. They're just taking it in and producing it. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, and then the question comes down to how is it getting promoted, right? Because what you're doing is, and this is actually more content marketing than anything else, it's like how are you actually promoting this new app? Is Google now buying advertising somewhere else to promote the existence of this thing? Or is it just using the exposure that it's getting through the New York Times and the travel section to actually get a linkage in, right? And that's a, that becomes a really interesting. But we don't know. They, this yeah. article doesn't say that, right? We don't it know if get, it doesn't go into those details. Well, it would be like I mean, you see it all the time. Even we do this where you get a you know Forrester or Gartner, and you'll do a we'll do a content project for somebody else, and they'll use the. Let's say it's a webinar, a white paper, or an ebook, or something like that. They'll go ahead. They'll promote it on their own channels. They'll maybe promote it on Forrester's or Gartner's channels or Content Marketing Institute's channels, and then they'll also buy additional promotion with it as well. So I mean, it's the right. same exact right. type of thing, except Google put it into this beautiful spinning globe, and then you go into Google Maps <laughs> with it. Right. <laughs> Wee. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here we go. Well, what's funny is because I went to it and I looked at it, and it was this real slow spinning globe. And then I clicked off of something, and I came back, and that thing was like spinning off its axis. I'm like, axis. <laughs> I'm like, what are you? Stop. And then I'm like, I clicked on the surprise me button, and it stopped in Brazil. So that was cool. Yeah, nice. There you go. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> All right. And scene. There you go. All right. Moving on to our next story here. This comes to us uh, courtesy of Salesforce.com, actually. Um, and the headline here is, How Content Marketing is Bringing Together Sales and Marketing Teams. Kumbaya. Um, and the article starts out by saying, Content Marketing is Emerging as a Big Thing, right? I don't know if you knew this, Joe, but Content Marketing is kind of a big thing now. Um, and they talk about how it's really emerging at the top of the funnel, building brand awareness, driving and delivering leads, um, and all that stuff. And then they get and they quote our study, and they they talk about all sorts of things. And then they start talking about how it's starting to actually bring together an alignment of sales and marketing, and how the idea of content marketing in that process is really bringing together. And and this was an interesting piece to me. I mean, and by the way, hat tip to Carlos Abler, who tipped us off to this uh, this article from uh, from 3M. Thank you, Carlos. Um, as he said, and I, and I think this is true, I, I'm not sure this is entirely revolutionary because we've been talking about this for as long as we've been talking about content marketing. But is there something here that you saw that goes a little deeper than what they're talking about? You know, is there an alignment happening or is there something that's 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 truly, you know, that's truly important about this? I liked actually Carlos had a 
comment at the end of this, which I think is is interesting, and we've been talking about it, right? About, and I'm going to paraphrase, but Carlos says, content is the common factor, all caps, the common blood that flows through the entire organization, the entire customer relationship life cycle. And he's talking about customer care, technical services, talent acquisition. So yes, and then of course, sales and marketing are one of the, the you know two of the critical groups that have to figure this out because it's touching customers right. and prospects in these different ways. Um, I don't think this is revolutionary by any means, but I guess what it made me think of it is just and you, you know, you talk to a number of companies. I just met with quite a few large B two B companies that are still just really, really struggling with the siloed nature of marketing doing marketing and sales not really respecting marketing at all. And still thinking about them as those are the people that put the, put together those pretty PDFs for me, type of thing. Yeah. And I right. that so I think this is the vision, um, but I don't think we're at all there yet. The one thing that I, I thought of was when you look at the you know what you consider a lead. So I think that's where sales can really be helpful. So if, if you're a salesperson and you think, all right. I'm going to get marketing on my side. I really think that this can be this can help me. Then you would actually communicate back to them. And this, by the way, this is done in a lot of enterprises, but but not done well. I don't think where salespeople actually say, "Look, this is what I consider a lead, and this is what I consider a name. This is what I will use, and this is what I don't use." And having some kind of communication open for that, and then. Saying okay, now we're on the same ground. We know what we're going, what you're going to do, what I'm going to do. Then you help marketing by, and then there's three bullet points here, which I think are cool. Where can you help them marketing line up customer stories and case studies? Can you uh, help figure out how to gather testimonials, videos, social media support? These are like things that we've talked about for a long time. I just don't see a lot of salespeople actually doing (laughs) doing it. Right. I mean, right. do you are you seeing this? Is this well? So here's what I'll say about this, and 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 I have a lot to say about this. The the and so I'll try and I'll try. Why do to you not have a lot to this? say? You always have a lot to say, <laughs> and that's good. It's a podcast. You're supposed said, to. No, it's it's sometimes not good. People will attest to that that it's not always good when I keep my mouth open. Anyway, the here's what I think that. The idea of content marketing running down the sales enablement process is not a new idea, right? We've been talking about this, as you just mentioned, we've been talking about this for a long time. Here's two things that I'll mention. One is, is first of all, I love the fact that Salesforce is having this conversation and, and talking about alignment and sales and marketing because, we, to your point, I see this a lot, where mar- especially in B2B organizations, where marketing is looked at as, as purely a sales enablement engine and ostensibly becomes an on-demand vending machine for sales to ask for more stuff. You know, saying we need a PDF in blue, we need a PDF in red, we need, you know, I need this, I need yeah, that. Yeah, and they'll always say yes. And they always exactly want it. Yeah. because they're an on-demand vending machine. They can't say no. They're not allowed to say no. And so all they they get so wrapped up in this idea of sales enablement because of the sales-driven culture in many B2B organizations that they often lose their strategic ability to provide content that separates and differentiates. Now, having said that, <clears throat> I do think as content marketing gets into. So this article quotes the same stat that we've seen ad nauseum now um, from across the B2B spectrum, which is this idea of how much of the sales process is actually complete before sales gets engaged. 
And this is very often one of the tee-off points of a content marketing or, or a self, social media type of presentation where, you know, it, de- it depends on whose numbers you like better, right? So serious decisions, the analyst firm serious decisions says, you know, 60%. Forrester says 72%. As they found here, the corporate executive board uh, found 60%. What's not mentioned in there, and, and the reason I don't like that statistic as much is because what they all say is they, they leap on the headline that basically says the purchasing decision, re- researching solutions, ranking options, setting requirements, all that stuff is done before they actually have the conversation with the salesperson. And that's not true. And Serious Decisions, to their credit, has actually come out and said this and talked about the myth of this this statistic. What the truth is, is that maybe that much of the the research and and buying process has happened in terms of researching and and, and consumption of content. That doesn't mean sales is not involved. And the key here is, is that when marketing and sales are truly aligned and when marketing can use sales as a delivery channel, in other words, if we can transform the sales group instead of that person that actually closes a deal and transforms the sales process into one that delivers content that enables a sale, and Artif Albi, to her credit, talks about this as better than anybody, that's the real magic. That's the alignment. It's not a handoff anymore. We're not marketing isn't handing off a lead to sales. What we're doing is we're enabling sales to continue the conversation, continue the experience of that consumer. And so, yes, maybe 60% of that buying process is done before they start to have a sales conversation, but that doesn't mean that a salesperson can't deliver a marketing or a content marketing value. And that's the real that's the real you know, magic. That's to very me. that's very insightful. And I'm not. I'm not saying it like I'm surprised. I'm saying it like I'm glad that you brought this, <laughs> this up because this makes me think of the fact that if you're a market, if you're if you're creating a, a documented content marketing strategy and you're figuring out here's the story we want to tell, instead of seeing this as a handoff, and you clearly said it's it's usually not any kind of a handoff where they get to a certain it point. It shouldn't be. Yeah, it, and then they it call. very often is, but but yeah. But would you then recommend that I'm looking mm-hmm. at, okay, I'm looking at all the ways I'm going to tell my story in different feedback loops, and sales is one of those ways to tell Absolutely, that story, right? Yes. It's like, Absolutely, okay, we've got yes. email, we've got, okay, here's the sales channel, critical channel, maybe most important in B2B. How are we enabling that That's all right. the time? Not just exactly. turning it on at a, at a different, at a separate time, right? That's exactly right. And so, you know, I mean, there are, there are. This is why I don't like the whole idea of the MQL and SQL. I don't like that because what it does is that it it immediately sets up a wall of delineation between the sales and marketing process, and I don't look at them as different. <clears throat> I look at them as a hopefully a continuum of a process that actually is enabled by different people. And so when we get down toward converting someone into a more interested, you know, where they raise their hand, they want to talk about details, they want to talk about deals, well, that's when we're turning it over, the conversation over to a salesperson. And at that point, that salesperson should be armed with the type of content that convinces in, in a B2B sense because really what we're talking about in a B2B sale is change, right? How do we argue for a change to happen? And so that salesperson needs to first convince the person on the other end that a change needs to happen and then convince them that it's actually their solution that will help them change most efficiently, most effectively, whatever it is. So it's 
to me, it's 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 it is all hopefully theoretically and philosophically philosophically one process. And I understand that it there are you know there are politics and there are different people and that there are processes and technology. If we can at least start with the idea that it's one process and then sort of make you know sort of lines in the sandbox that we have to make for those other reasons, then I think we're in a better place. Yeah. So as marketing. You're going to look at sales as your distribution channel, and you're going to say, okay, let's just say you have an email newsletter. Okay, here's my email newsletter. Here's what we're saying. Here's our story. Here's what we're saying. Here's how we're going to execute it. Uh, Here's the tone, all that stuff, right? And then over here, we've got here's our communication from sales to our customers, and here's how that's working, frequency, tone, all that stuff, right? And how we're going to position salespeople as experts all, all the way through. Uh, the relationship with the customer, not necessarily when they're ready to buy. Exactly. And by the way, that extends beyond sales and it goes into loyalty where we get into customer service and evangelism. I mean, this is the continuum of the customer life cycle that we're trying to create a holistic experience for, right? And so... Yeah. So if somebody buys, let's say, and this is done in really, really smart companies, as you and I both know, but let's just say that the customer buys, the, the communication with the salesperson doesn't stop. No, it just changes. No. It just maybe changes a little bit. That's right. But the communication right. keeps rolling along. Well, and it and it and it may be a different person, right? I mean, depending on the kind of company you you it, you know, someone that is in charge of actually closing a big B two B deal is not going to be the same person that is in charge of managing that account or onboarding that client or whatever it is. It may be actually be an account manager, you know, or customer service type of representative. But to your point, the marketing and sales process doesn't stop. You know, creating that upsold, cross-sold, evangelistic brand subscriber um, is really the goal of the business. It's evolving that customer through that process. You know, there's a reason that you know there's a reason why in the funnel the customer segment is the thinnest part. (laughs) You know, it's it's where the least amount of people are at any one time. Mm And so the goal is to take that bottleneck of that bottom of the funnel and turn it into a giant pool of people underneath that will talk talk about us, share our story, share our you know share our products, and talk about how valuable we are, so that we actually do create some awesome evangelistic you know customers that that want to continue to do business with us. As we close this one, as a percentage, what would you say the number of let's just use B two B for example, the number of B two B companies that you work with? that actually have really solid integration between sales and marketing. Oh, it's small. Very it's small. really, really like small. Like 10%? It's really small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got yeah. a long way to go. Yeah, we do. We do. And, and but here's the good news. It's not, that the, it's not that the rest don't recognize the issue and that aren't working on it. It's, you know, it's, I mean, this is, this gets into lots of stuff that we talk about. You know, this is the whole culture eat strategy for breakfast thing. And, you know, quite frankly, in many B2B organizations, quite, marketing hasn't earned that strategic seat yet. And that's the real, that's the real challenge. It's not that sales mm-hmm. is sort of entrenched in some antiquated idea. That's the case in some, you know, companies. Well, it's the service. But it's, it's not always the well, case. Well, that's where, where we know of a couple examples where you you have some really smart marketers that said, well, maybe we should set up marketing as sort of this internal service department. And oh, that's where you rail against me. it. Oh, You've always God, said, look, if you become that, yeah. subservient to sales, you're just going to do yeah. exactly what you, you just refer said. To your, right. If you refer to yourself as an internal agency to the organization, you might as well just call yourself the IT help desk. I mean, that's because that's what you are. You're and 
you're you're never going to be strategic being an internal agency, and that's just the way it is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. And, See, that wasn't too long. You did a and, good job. And, right. And, <laughs> and that's the way it is on Sunday. Now um, the right. rest it, of it, the story. Exactly. <laughs> All right, our next news item also uh, coming to us courtesy of our friends at Google. Um, this was a really interesting one, and, and I immediately connected this with content marketing, but it, it, when I saw the headline, I was like, I'll bet people are going to be like, how do you connect that to content marketing? The headline here is Google halts the Google Glass sales after an awful debut. Uh, the article comes from SFGate. Uh, the newspaper in San Francisco, and although it's being covered in a lot of different places, and it says that Google's going to stop the consumer sales of Google Glass um, actually today as we record this as it starts to t- try and redesign basically the everything we know about with the wearable um, idea of eyeglasses here. And, and as the article says, and I'm not sure I would necessarily agree with this, but the article says Glass has been a persistent marketing headache for Google um, with anxiety surrounding the device even before its small-scale public debut in 2013 and talks about the cynicism and the, all the people that were really protesting and all the challenges that they had in San Francisco with people actually getting hit with the Google Glass and all that kind of stuff. So what do you, you think about this article? The biggest takeaway that I have, and it's I want to hear your content marketing take, but I'll give you my, my takes first. I've been reading up on this Tony Fidel, who's the, the CEO of Nest, and so he's running this Nest Labs within Google. And, and I guess the story in, in this one to me is that they're giving a rebooted glass over to Tony Fidel. I think that's huge because this guy does not like failure. And he usually comes <laughs> with right, with some right. kind. Of, and they seem to be doing this. They Google, like this is the guy when, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking at any of the, because this guy worked at Apple, I believe. I mean, I think he did the. Uh, was on when when iPod was coming out and iPhone was coming right. out, and then he left. Yeah. He launched Nest. Google buys Nest, and now this guy's running all these consumer products. My take is, and I don't even know if this is correct. Hey, Google went and they tested it, and this they got a bunch of data, and now it's gonna they're gonna get ready for prime time. And why is it prime time now? Because wearables from the watch standpoint are starting to take off. Like I think we're years away from like wearables really really making a dent and we're really starting like it would it would be i guess the word was used in this article ubiquitous that you just have wearables on so everybody would in some way or another well watches are are not far away from that point where i think you're in two years three years watches are going to be there maybe face wear is not there yet isn't this just a case where hey they did their research study they got all the data they wanted to and now they're moving on and giving it to their pro in-house and they're going to take it to the next level because if you think about that's Google 411 by the way like people thought that like why did Google create Google 411 you know where you call in yeah you get the directions and they do it automatically right. why did they get rid of that well they got rid of it because they all they wanted it for was to do research gather and, data yeah yep. they aggregated all the data on how everybody would ask for anything and all the different accents and they got it and now they can do anything from a, an audible search standpoint that they want to because they have all the different variations of it that's, that's how right. i took this is that even correct what oh well i think that's a great i think that's i think that's as good a theory as any I mean, <laughs> I, 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 of course I it's right just say yeah, i'm right let's yeah, go on to the okay. next story you're right joe <laughs> 
Oh, Joe, you're right. Don't you know, Joe, you're okay. What's your content marketing right. take? I want to well, hear. Well, here's this. The, I I I think here's here's what I think. I, you know, I think that's an you should work for PR and Google is what I think because I think that's a that, that's a lovely story if it's true. <laughs> it's a lovely um, made up story. It's a lovely story if it's true. I think they failed. I think I think they had every intention of succeeding with Google Glass, um, and I think in many cases. You know, what we continually see is that Google doesn't understand how to tell a story. Um, and they, you know, they're, the marketing that they do is so wrapped up in the, the way that they typically present things, which is usually in kind of a ham-fisted way. And, you know, if, if you just think for a minute if Apple had introduced Google Glass... You know, they would have never done what Google did with the idea of the beta and calling it you know, influencer or calling, you know, and, and doing that whole. They wouldn't have made it, uh, you know, a, a, a cool kid, a nerd thing, basically. They, that's the, the difference between what the, the story that Google tells with the way that they go to market with certain things versus like a Samsung or like an Apple or a Sony, you know, in all these different things is that it's not about being a nerd. And that's what it ultimately became. It became sort of the, you know, there was lots of memes going around with Google Glass that it was sort of the, you know, wireless Bluetooth, you know, sort of jerky, douchey thing to do. And they never fought that until it became such a meme that it was such, it was hard to, it was hard to get over, right? Where they had a whole thing like, you know, they had to actually issue a book called Google Glass Etiquette, right? Where you're supposed to wear Google Glass oh, and where man. you're not. Well, I think when the are, Robert Scoble uh, shower picture was taken and he's exa- got Google that's Glass. That's exactly that, it. Pretty right. much downhill from that moment that, on. Exa- that's exactly right, right? I mean, because then it becomes a nerd thing where, you know, it be, you, you call attention to the thing itself. You said something when we were talking about this pre-show, which was, I think, is right on the money where it's like, you know, it should just be a pair of eyeglasses. That's all it is. It's just a pair of eyeglasses. It also happens, by the way, to be able to access a computer where you can access directions and stuff like that. It, but it's just a pair of eyeglasses. And that's the cool. If you look at what, what the way Apple is actually doing their watch, it's just a watch. It happens to do all these really cool things. Right. And they're actually making it merge seamlessly into all of the things that you think of when you think of a watch. So anyway... I, I I think it was a fail, um, and I think you're exactly right that this new guy coming from Nest is the just the guy to actually turn it around and actually do something with it. And I do believe the next generation technology will just be embedded into a pair of eyeglasses. I don't think it's, you know, in yeah. other words, it's not going to be called Google Glass. It's just going to be Google well, they, technology yeah, I mean, embedded they tried, into like your they, Warby I, Parker I, frames. Yeah, I mean, I remember when they came out with the, the Luxottica. Uh, partnership right. and they tried exactly. to do that. So I, I mean, they were thinking about it. It's almost like, okay, well, we're not going to go this way. Let's let's try it and make it look like a real pair of glasses that people will wear and not yeah. get noticed and made fun of as they walk into a room. The, That's right. Well, the last take that I had, and it's more of a question than anything else. I'm thinking, like, if I'm within Google or it's part of their roadmap, that they're going to launch retail stores. Do they have retail stores right now? Does Google have a Google store? I do not believe that. So I do not believe that they do. We know that Apple does, of course. I mean, we've yeah. seen the success of that. We know that Microsoft yeah. is starting to dabble in that dabble in that area, and they've got yeah. multiple yeah. stores open. They do. If Sony does as well, Sony does as well. 
Yeah. So what's stopping Google from doing this? Because the the thing that I thought of when when you when you're just talking about okay, this was just a failure, and and from a marketing standpoint, a customer expectation standpoint, what if they would have launched this in certain cities? And they had a Google store, and you went in, and just think of something similar to what the Apple store is set up, where you have people there educating them as they buy it, showing them instead of it just as it normally did, it just got to the got to your house in a box, and people well, were supposed to thing. figure it out. What if they actually went through a process, or I'm gonna, like not a hazing process, but <laughs> a learning right. process as they go through the store, and they're educating themselves on how to use it, how to get the most out of it, like a lot of people do when they go into an Apple store. That's exactly it though, right? So so what you're thinking what you're saying basically is that the story is this is for everybody, right? That you've now made it for everybody and it's not this, you know, so the mistake I think they made was sort of in this idea that it's only a thing that, you know, it's a status symbol for cool nerds. And so by making it a status symbol for cool nerds, what they ended up doing was making it a class kind of thing, right? Which is where, which is where you saw all of the sort of animus against people who were wearing it was that it represented everything about Silicon Valley and the sort of nerd rich nerd culture that everybody is sort of you know was 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 yeah. angry against, and so by making it a sort of a nerd status symbol, it 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 put it in that category. Whereas if they had just done exactly what you said made it for come in let's talk about it. this is for everybody it's going to be integrated into your every piece of eyeglass right now it's kind of big and it's kind of but it's for everybody's eyeglasses and then they could show how it's going to work in you know laboratories and 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 all that kind of thing then it then it it changes the story yeah. right and that's the that's the lesson for me as a content marketer is how important it is to get your story right and how you're going to evolve that story over time because understanding who your audience is and ultimately who your audience is, not just who can help you sort of introduce a product to the world, but ultimately who your audience is, is the most important part of that. I, I'm i com- probably going to be completely wrong with this, but I, I just anticipate, and I, they might work through other distributors and retailers, but they might decide to go on their own. You create the Google Store, and you go in, and it's basically all the different things, ways that Google technology can help your life in some way. I could see Stove, yeah. refrigerators, shoes, watches, oh, sure. phones, Nest, right, all that, anything, stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, and this, I'm just wondering. I'm thinking maybe in in ten years, kind of the store we go to is the Google Store, and I think that's what Apple is trying to. I mean, Apple will probably go that direction, right? Because they're all fighting over the home. I mean, it's, yeah. we're we're thinking this whole fight is over this, you know, t- type of wireless technology, your iPads, your iPhones, your tablets. So that's just step one. Step two oh, is they want yeah. everything I mean, in the house and everything that you do, it, you know, basically you're porting into something, and that's a lot of new equipment. That there, I mean, it's the Internet of Things and wearables is going. I mean, in the next few years, it's just going to it's going to change. It's going to change so much about the way. I mean, it's another. Uh, people have said this. This is not me saying this. This is other people, the analysts, and sort of future uh people who look at the future and stuff and they say they say that uh you know this internet of things is the next wave right is the, the internet of things and, and wearables and that sort of is the next wave uh of what the you know the giant disruptive change that's coming it's it's going to be huge i think that's my new prediction google store yeah. in the next 12 months there you go google yeah, store there you go san francisco Fantastic. san francisco be the first one all right <laughs> yeah. I, I buy that. I, I buy. Yeah, put it in. 
<laughs> there probably already is one, and somebody's I'll, listening to did this. Did you see? We didn't. We didn't. We didn't cover this. Um, but there was a wonderful article. Maybe we can find it and put it in the show notes. That there's this wonderful article of this guy who does who who's so sick of all the predictions, uh, prediction shows and prediction articles and stuff. And so he did for his prediction article for his blog. He actually went out to a fortune teller. Oh, I saw the, that. And had the fortune teller do like all the tech predictions for the next year, and they're pretty good. I gotta say, they're pretty. Well, that's good. Like, we'll send it oh, send it over to me, and we'll put it we'll put it in the show yeah, notes. We'll definitely Saturday, put that. So in, so it's just a, it's a really fun article. He he wrote it really well. All right, our last actual news story uh, of the show, it comes to us courtesy of our friends at searchenginejournal.com, and it's about our friends at Facebook. Facebook, dun-dun-dun, roll out the big red carpet, and of course the big trumpets and drums, they have introduced a LinkedIn competitor called Facebook Work. Uh, and it says, the article starts out by saying, it's no secret, of course we browse Facebook at work, we all use Facebook at work. And now, apparently, the social network headed by our friend Mark Zuckerberg wants to make it so that we no longer have to hide it. Um, the new product is basically going to work on making the network more work-friendly, and it's simply titled Work or Facebook Work. Uh, the new product is going to reportedly uh, allow businesses to create self-contained social networks exclusively for employees, um, which sounds a little bit like an intranet or a LinkedIn group or something like Yammer. that. Yammer. Um, yeah. yeah, of course, Yammer, um, all of that. You know, uh, what's the one inside of Salesforce? Is that Yammer inside of Salesforce? No, no it's, I don't uh, think it's so. Chatter inside chatter. of Salesforce. Yeah. Um, and basically, the social networks are going to mirror Facebook in design and the user experience and all that kind of stuff. And they can, of course, use their existing Facebook ID um, and all that. So, what's the difference, really? Well, according to this article, basically everybody can only look at your own stuff within the company and there's going to be no ads or data tracking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, Pete Townsend yeah, exactly. won't get fooled again, right? You know, so, you know, what do you, I don't know, what do you think? I just, I do think it's funny though that I could see this being a, Oh, we're gonna we're going to collaborate with our work groups, and this is really important, sensitive information. And oh, yes, I'm going to use Facebook for that because they're going to keep my privacy. <laughs> and right. so we don't have right. any any leaks. Right. That's that's perfectly makes sense. I, I, I'm for okay. I have a lot. I have a lot of uh, things that I'm going to say, but <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm actually going to keep it down to this one. I like okay. this from a Facebook strategy because what it does is most of Facebook revenue is received through advertising. This right. would be a subscription revenue source. I think that's super critical that Facebook, as a business, diversifies its business model. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't. And, and why? If, if they're I'm, not going to monetize it through. Advertising, it's got it's going to be like a Yammer, I would assume, where people can like a seat. They're going to buy a seat or multiple seats, right? No, I I don't understand why you as a business. I can't even start to imagine why I would. I just why I, you I would sign up, but that isn't why that the model. I would, though. Why I would buy? Why I would buy? You know, if I'm GE, why am I buying four hundred and seventy five thousand seats of Facebook work? Why? 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 Do you, okay, why, so why here's this question. Do you to? think that they're going to sell this? I mean, are they going to sell it, or is it become sort of a utility Jay Bear type play 
for people to, to get more immersed into Facebook products and services. I, I have no idea. I, I mean, I, I'm honestly lost to why they want to do this. I really am. I, I you know, to me, is it called face see... work? Is it called? <laughs> <laughs> It's oh my god! It wouldn't be workbook because that's you know, no. They're calling it trademark. Facebook. That. They're calling it Facebook work. They're oh, it's Facebook it work. work. Face work. Yeah, face work. It's Where, what are you work. doing today? I'm getting some face. You know, work I live done. in L.A. and you get some work done on your face. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I'm getting some face work done while I'm, I'm on calling the face it work. right. I'm in the Botox group. Um, I, you know, I just I, it it baffles me quite frankly of why why they would do this because I I can't see. Unless there's something I'm really missing, which is entirely true, folks. I mean, there is absolutely uh, the possibility that I'm missing something really big here. But I don't see as a CIO why I would on earth want to sign up for this. Because if I don't already have an intranet in place, and if I don't already think that I couldn't go out to LinkedIn and create a LinkedIn group, or I can't go out to you know any of a million other opportunities to create a private online social network is the the only benefit that I see is that everybody has a Facebook account and so therefore it's easy for them to log in but quite frankly that's a security risk for me it's a you know it, it, it's it's you know and and Facebook let's be honest doesn't have the best track record and sort of sort of saying hey here's this really cool new thing that we won't ever change you know and so I I don't I just don't if I'm a CIO in a business I don't understand why I would allow well, this or or not necessarily allow it but why I would care. But I guess it comes back to Facebook's mission. Yeah, I mean you're yes you're thinking about it correctly from the user standpoint. But if you're thinking about it from Facebook's perspective, they want to touch the customer as much as they can throughout the day. Of course they do. Of course they do. So and, this and would I, be I, and they know that they're blocked in a large portion of the enterprises around the world. So, is this your Trojan horse? Oh, I get what you're saying. So, basically, by opening this up, that then they're going to open it up in the firewall, and people can surf Facebook regular while they're I, that. I don't. That I don't know. I'm just saying right now that you and I know many, many corporations that block Facebook right now. You yes. cannot get to Facebook, and even though you can get it right on your smartphone, right. your mobile, sitting right? There. Yeah, right. Uh, so I'm just wondering. Okay, well, how do we break through? In some way, they could say, "Okay, we'll make this Trojan horse," and and they could. It could be a completely free tool. I mean, so we're guessing. At, we don't know what the business model is going to be, but uh, yeah. And I it, and candidly, I don't see one. And so, I mean, but you know, this is the reason that you know I'm, all I'm that me, the only thing I know is Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> all all I need to know, all I need to tell them is they need to change the name. It should be Face Work, and they should throw a launch party, and Men at Work. We'll play at there, the launch Oh, party. there you go. There you go. And then there I'll be go. happy. And Men I'll be work. there. Men, yes, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. so here we go. Here we go with the puns, right? <laughs> are, we, uh, are we on to the sponsor We yet? are on to our sponsor. Yes, thankfully, we're on to oh, our sponsor. So, our yeah, beautiful, wonderful, delightful sponsor of Acrolinks. Okay, yeah. Q Music. Uh, yes. The music. Okay, this old marketing dun, dun, sponsored, dun, 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 sponsored by our wonderful friends at Acrolinks. The Acrolinks platform helps the world's most recognized brands create more engaging, more engaging, more readable, and more enjoyable content. Uh, and actually, they are correct. Most people do not know that this sort of software exists. So if you're having these kind of challenges, please check out what Acrolinks has to offer and their new ebook called Speak with One Voice. 
answers those critical questions about how you can make your content stand out and how to create a unique advantage in the content economy. Do I have contenteconomy.com? Did we take that URL? We probably should. I don't should. know. That's pretty good. Yeah. Why don't you register that? I'm sure it's taken. <laughs> Somebody's probably okay. offering it for yeah. like $5 million or something right. like that. Content Speak with economy. one voice. It's pretty a fantastic good. ebook. Yeah. Download it when you can at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash acrolinks and the number two, acrolinks two, and that's acrolinks with an X number two. And uh, we just love what they're doing in Acrolinks. They've been greatly supportive of what we're doing here at the Soul Marketing and Content Marketing Institute and Content Marketing World. And we got Intelligent Content Conference coming up. So this kind of an ebook will help you in your endeavors. So it is, is. It is. It is. is a fan, it is fantastic. It's just great content. I mean, that's just the that's the key in the content economy. In the content economy, this it is, is great content. Financially sound. It is financially sound. It is. It's soundly financial. It's face work, is what it really is. It's actually your. That's the URL that you should register. Is face work. Oh, that's <laughs> taken. But I'm doing it right now, anyways. Just in case. Facework.cc. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right, folks. It is time for your favorite part of the show. It's our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is really bugging us like the Seahawks and Pats in the Super Bowl or something we want to show a little love toward like face work. Um, and so let's see. I guess I'm going – no, you're going first because first. you actually have, have this old marketing this I week. I have this old marketing because you're enjoying yourself in Hawaii and I wanted to take I as much indeed. pressure off you as possible. Aww, this that's is sweet. Um, yeah, so just, just real shortly, uh, I saw this article. This is from Sam Slaughter who's uh, Contently's – uh, VP uh, does some great work, some great articles, and he writes this article in Publishing Executive magazine online called Native Ads Are Not a Business Model. And I don't want to spend too much. We'll put it in the show notes, but there's there's two things I want to talk about. You and I have talked about forever that the way to growth for media companies is not through native advertising. And this is what Sam talks about. It's like you you cannot build... Uh, the growth of your organization on native advertising. So that's the one thing. But the second thing is, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, he basically he he says he actually hates the word native advertising. Nice. And the reason why this one stuck out at me is because of something that you say over and over again. He says, I don't want my content, my sponsored content, to look similar and blend in because I want it to look different. I want to make sure it stands out. I want to make sure that people know it comes from me and not sort of this sly, oh, I'm going to make it look like the editorial and they might not even know it's me and we're going to fool them. So yeah. he goes on this article. Which I, I love think this is, guy already. Yeah, I mean, absolutely correct. It says, look, I want it to be bold. I want it to be different. I want the advertising, this content as advertising to stand outside of itself so that it's great for what it is and don't call it native advertising he basically talks about is it useful advertising i don't know what it is but i don't want it to be native because i don't want it to necessarily blend in with anything else that's going on on the site i just appreciate it i think people will appreciate the article and so there's i i i'm just i'm kind of um I'm torn between this native advertising term right now. I know the industry's adopted it. I know we use it all the time and have been, right. I think, on every episode. But the, the concern that I have, and it came up today in the first article, is it's not native. You know, people are using native advertising for every kind of usage of, brand, of publisher content bought by brands, and that's yeah. incorrect. 
And I think w- maybe you and I are going to have to do something about it because obviously nobody else is. <laughs> We're just the guys to do it. We're too. just, and yeah, I mean, and, and I'm going to publish a post. It's going to be on Facebook. Oh, yeah, there you so go. Check Facebook, out my new, new post. New yeah, Facebook. I don't know. I, I've just. I think it's crazy. It's almost like how you and I get frustrated when people use content marketing in so many different ways that the same thing is happening in, in native. Well, I think, I think, and I think quite frankly, it's because there, I mean, you know, there isn't a lot of people who give the same care and feeding to native advertising that we, you know, they're not, as, there's not a lot of love. You know what I mean? And, and I think there's that inherent sort of uh, tension between, the journalist and publishers and that business model and the advertising business model and brand marketing and, and marketing business models that sort of are, you know, so it's really who owns that, who owns that term, right? You know, it's like from a content marketing perspective, it's clear that it's the marketer that owns that term, owns that process. It's a process within the marketing department on the buy side, not on the sell side. And so with native advertising, it's a little bit of confusion, right? Is it, a, is it a publisher term that describes what they're offering as a product? Or is it a process done by media and traditional marketers that reflects what they're trying to do from an advertising perspective? And I think that's the real confusion is who, whose process is it, right? And so it, depending on your perspective on it, and I come from the marketing perspective where very much like the tone of this article, I don't care. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't care about the publisher's business model. I'm going to take advantage of anything I can take advantage of to sell more of my stuff. That's well said. There you go. All right. Well, I'm in Hawaii. I'm relaxed. What can you say? Um, all right. My rave is a very short one, um, and it's just a shout out, um, and I know I've done it before. Um, I'm a fanboy of Newcastle Brown Ale, and so if there's anybody from Newcastle listening, by the way, I'm all up for some native advertising to arrive at the front door of my house <laughs> with a little, a few six packs of uh, Newcastle Brown Ale. Anyway, it, they did. Uh, I don't know if you remember last year with the Super Bowl, they did sort of the anti advertising campaign with Anna, Anna Kendrick and the whole thing. This bit, which was fabulous, by the way. This year, they're doing another fabulous thing, and I just had to give it a shout-out because I love what they're doing. They are crowdsourcing this idea. This We put the link in the show notes, of course. It comes from AdAge, where they talk about how they they are basically creating a Super Bowl spot, but then they're doing, and Andrew Davis would love this, brandscaping the entire thing by saying, look, all the other brands in the world, why doesn't every other small brand in the world get to waste as much money as we do on a Super Bowl ad? So they're basically buying a sort of crowdsourced Super Bowl spot where they're basically saying if you're a small or medium-sized business and you want to have an ad in the Super Bowl, you can participate too. And they've got a bunch of brands going in already, including uh, uh, they've got Boost Mobile, they've got Bonitos, they got Sharper Image, Armstrong Flooring. They've got McClure's Pickles. These are brands that have already agreed to participate in the brand. What a great idea. It's such a wonderful idea. The band of brands, they're calling it. Um, And basically, they're going to get all these brands together and do a a Super Bowl ad. Um, And it's just a – I just love this as a a great gimmick. It's totally advertising. I get that. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful way to sort of think differently about – the way that you go to market um, with you know different ideas rather than sort of focusing on how we product place price and promotion our own stuff and so so did for they that, did, I love it did they, do they have an ad paid for already I believe they do 
So they basically they Newcastle said, "Look, we're going to front the cost, and then we're going to go out and find sponsors to subsidize yes. the rest of it." And they're and the cool thing is they're doing a regional buy, right? Which is uh, you know I don't want to get too far into oh, the so you can take, media buying work. Oh, it, exactly. So it's a it's a regional buy during the game, and so and I'm I'm not sure exactly the details of how how many DMAs and I don't again I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but DMAs are direct marketing areas where you can actually buy regional spots. Got it. Oh yeah, because Anheuser Busch has the. Um, of course, they're going to do national, yeah. right? You know, they have so, national, but you could, but beers, but other beers can buy on the local level. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. And so you could buy, for example, you know the the Portland, Oregon DMA, right, where you would only be up in the Upper Northwest. And so if you're a small company that only serves the Upper Northwest, you're getting a very focused. You're not getting a national audience, which is a waste. And so I don't know how they're divvying all that up, but and there's not a lot of details there, but it's just a really cool idea. Jeez, I wonder. How, I wonder what the pricing is on that. Maybe we should uh, get Content Marketing World involved in that, and we'll buy out the <laughs> Northern Ohio content, area. Content Marketing World Super Bowl ad. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I think. There you go. Hey, you never know. No, I'm sure it's. Uh, it wouldn't cost that much at all. Absolutely. Something. All right. What about uh, what about this old marketing? You know, just real briefly. Um, you know, as you know, we always hunt for this old marketings and. Are there good ones and and bad ones and whatever? And this was interesting because I'm I'm just scrolling through Facebook yesterday, and this really interesting story pops up. And this is it's a story that uh, actually was Pamela Slim, who's a you know wonderful writer, you know motivational person, uh, kind of the Beyond the Office. She's written some books on Beyond the Office. I saw in her feed, she's like, I would love this guy, this kid Josh. I'd do anything for him. And I'm like, well, who's this kid Josh? And there's this six minute video that talks about this idea where you know jo- basically the story is Josh lost his father he was really depressed he was getting picked on at school it was really going downhill and Josh started doing something strange is every day at school he started opening doors like he'd open the door for like the entire school like he'd get there early and he would just keep the door open and every day he would come back and he would just be the holding the doors so this goes from a kid who you know, wasn't talked to, was made fun of. He just decided, I'm going to do this and started holding doors for everybody. And he got like super famous. This is a kid that wasn't talking to any kids. Now everybody's paying attention to him. Um, they all started to appreciate, they all started to talk to him. And you see the video where he's holding the door and kids oh, are going by. Gosh, They're saying, thank you, Josh, and everything. It's a really cool story. And his mom's on there saying, we were really worried. We didn't know what to do. He started doing this thing. And then... He actually won Homecoming King, and like it was a real thing. Like they were really appreciated what he was doing, and then now he's a public speaker, and he goes on and he t- talks of this motivational speech about what he's done. And this goes from a small, uh, from a kid who didn't want to talk to anybody, and now he's speaking. And wow. I'm like, what a great story! And the whole thing is sponsored by WestJet. So it's oh, WestJet, the Canadian great. airliner, and I'm trying to make the connection here because you know you and I are always looking at the story sure. angles here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the so WestJet, they've been doing these stories for a while, calling above and beyond, and the the whole idea is they are they're focusing on stories of other Canadians that of of where they feel that they're going above and beyond the call of duty, and they're telling these five to six minute stories, and these things are really viral. I mean, this one is all over the internet. There's 139 comments just on the WestJet site on this one video, and just for the fact that I saw one of my friends were sharing it, 
Uh, and I saw it, and so they're getting a lot of viral play off of this. So I just thought it was interesting that, and I thought about this because you say it all the time, they're trying to create value outside of the product or service they offer. This is exactly what they're trying to do. I actually, I have no idea if it's helping them or not, but I can tell you right now for a fact, I think a lot more of WestJet than I did before because I just like what they're trying to do here. So it's wonderful. Oh, I'm definitely going to have to go watch. There's a that. bunch That's... of videos on. Yeah, it's like it's it's not just Josh. It's this other one that they you know they've got, and it looks like they're coming out with you know new one every couple weeks. So it's a series. It's not just a one time thing. And uh, you can submit a story, and of course, lots of sharing going on. Thousands of shares all over the place. So whatever they're doing, they're they're doing it right. And the only mention of WestJet in the whole video was right at the end. It just wow. said WestJet. Nice. You know, looking nice. for, you know, thanks yeah. to Josh for going above and beyond. Done. Oh, that's oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. All right, mister. Where are you this week? I'm actually coming out. Well, I'm coming in closer to you. I'm going, I'm going to be in Anaheim, believe it or oh, not. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm at, uh, I don't even think I told you about that. I'm wow. speaking at the National Association of, I think it's called Music Merchants. So all oh, the yeah, music stores, yeah, all the music stores yeah. around the world are going to come in, and that's I'm called the Nam Show, by the way. The Nam <laughs> Show. It's a yes. huge. It's a huge show. That's that's yeah. the show. That's the yeah. one I'm speaking at. So yes. I'm doing. Yeah, they, I'm, I'm doing a keynote there, and I'm going to talk to wow. them a little, about a little bit of epic content marketing. The so. Godfather is speaking at Nam. I, I mean, might. Yeah. So if that's you're, a huge thing. You're going to see a lot of people, right? You're going to. It's it's. They huge. said that it's this a big is. Show. Yeah. They they said that there's thousands and thousands that are going to be in the room oh my while, God. while I'm speaking. So it could yeah. be the largest one that I do. I don't know. Yeah, but it's it's I a better big not. Deal. I better not stink. I better yeah. bring my. <laughs> Bring my A game. Oh, so. Joe, you won't stink. You're so special. You're but if you're gone, are you are you gone this week? Are you home all week? Uh, no, I'm home. I'm 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 actually in the lovely Garden Isle of Kauai at the moment, sitting watching the sunrise. It's an early morning here, so watching the sunrise over Hanalei Bay, and and it's. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, this is what I, this is what you folks mean to me is that I'm actually getting up early to do this show. It's commit, um, commitment, when, right yes, there. exactly. So uh, we leave tomorrow, actually, and then I'm at home for a week working on client stuff and working on some presentations and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not out on the road until the end of next week uh, when I actually go up and visit with the folks at SAP. Um, and then I'm, I'm also speaking at a PRSA event in Los Angeles, actually, um, next week as well. So I'll be home for a little bit, and then I'm, then I'm back out on the road starting in February. Well, maybe uh, maybe we could uh, get together for a couple of coffee I or something. I would love to, yes. I would love to finally meet you. Be... <laughs> we never get to see each other, so <laughs> that would be great. Fantastic. All right, folks, that is it. Uh, we are signing off. This uh, this is Robert Rosen for Joe Polizzi. Thank you so much for tweeting us up, giving us stories. Uh, we love it. We absolutely love all the story ideas that you're sending us. And just continue. Uh, hashtag this old marketing if, or just at reply to us. Um, if you want to send an email, you can send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 62, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talk about in the show notes are available at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week for when we're going to hear Joe say, what's that green thing in my food? Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.